0: the queue up. uh, It's a good thing that our wives aren't here to stop the caloric intake uh, that it is that we have before us. Um, Well, uh, I understand that uh, building has been the theme uh, for these breakfasts uh, and indeed, obviously, the theme of what's happening to this building. Uh, But I thought uh, that this morning, perhaps, we can look at what I think we ought to be building from, and that is from the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, will you pray with me for a few moments before we dive into what I hope I can share with you? We thank you, dear Father, for the privilege it is to gather here this morning, for the food that we have enjoyed, for the fellowship in your gospel, and above all, uh, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we do pray that in your mercy, you will please help us to hear your voice and Respond appropriately for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, on one day in first century Judea, the Romans used to crucify up to a thousand people in one day. That's a lot of people, isn't it? A thousand people. On another day, they crucified three But it's not the 1,000 who have any significance, nor is it the three who have any significance, but one of those three. And it's not that he died because millions have died, haven't they? World War I and World War II have proved that. And it's not even that he died for a cause. Again, World War I and World War II have proved that. But it's that in this uniquely innocent man who is fully God at the same time, all the anger of God that should have been poured out on you and me was turned aside from us unto him so that we can have a right relationship with him. And that's what we reflected on over Easter, wasn't it? And I hope and pray that we will reflect on come Anzac Day as well because this is the death that is so significant for us and for the world. It is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And over the next few minutes, it's my prayer that we'll begin to understand why we Christian men as brothers who are thinking about building and building each other and seeking to build the kingdom will need to keep doing so by speaking about the cross of Jesus, singing about the cross of Jesus, boasting in the cross of Jesus. And so I'd love to turn our attentions uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I understand that paper Bibles are not available because of the building project and you've all got devices of some kind, so 1 Corinthians 1, uh, and we're just going to explore Uh, from verse 17 through to the end of the chapter. Uh, Ever so briefly, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17, I'm reading from the NIV, and it reads as follows. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Our world divides humanity between the impressive and the unimpressive, doesn't it? Between those who've got lots of letters after their name and those who don't. Uh, the strong, the weak, the uh, so-called oppressor and the oppressed, those who can do lots of push-ups and those who can't, right? That's how we divide humanity. But the cross divides humanity, did you note those words, between the perishing and the saved. It is foolishness the cross to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. You see our perspective of the cross really matters and to hammer the point home in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 1 Paul writes for it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. That's actually a quote from Isaiah 29 Verse 14, a text written 700 years before Jesus where the wise people express themselves by denying God. Does that sound familiar? They say to God, he did not make me, you know nothing. That's what the wise say in Isaiah's day. And so what will God do with those who think they are wise by denying him? According to Isaiah 29 verse 14, let me quote it to you. Isaiah 29 verse 14 we read, Therefore once more I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish, the intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. See, what is the wonder of wonders that God will do? He will obliterate the intelligence of the wise who deny him. Back in 1 Corinthians 1, it is the word of the cross that appears so foolish to those who are perishing in the end, the wise, the wise in this world who think they can survive without God in this world. And so back in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20, we read, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? See, who were the wise in the time of the Apostle Paul? Well, the wise were the thought leaders. They were the opinion makers of their day. My wife serves at the Australian National University with the focus group, and the lecturers often tell their students there at ANU, You are going to be the thought leaders of the world, the thought leaders of the nation. Small wonder they start to get a little smug sometimes, right? But it's not just the students at ANU, uh, I had cause to be at Parliament House not so long ago at the commissioning of a dear brother who's going to be a chaplain. I think one or two of you were there. Uh, And I was queuing up outside as I was going in. This was near the beginning. There was this long queue of people going in through security in the Parliament House. I understand it was one of those um, days that was slightly atypical. Uh, And the conversation around me was all about leadership and how we're going to change the nation and how impressive they were going to be and how they're going to move up the ranks within Parliament House and influence the day and, and not really mentioning God at all. In fact, numbers of them were actually speaking against God, even just the little rhetoric that I heard around about me, right? The thought leaders of our nation lining up, not being able to get through security properly because most of them forgot to take their belts off in the process, you know? They were the wise. The teachers of the law are mentioned here. They were the experts in the law of God. They were the Bible experts with PhDs in theology. Don't they? Yeah, well, maybe they should be there. But, but remember the Apostle Paul? He himself was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew his Bible in and out. But before he was met by Jesus on the Damascus Road, he was one of these teachers of the law, wasn't he? someone who knew his Bible backwards, as it were, but did not have a relationship with Jesus. And the philosophers of this age, it's not referring to the philosophers that I talked about at the beginning in terms of the wise, they were the gifted communicators, they were the best speakers, the ones who had just these these words coming out of their mouth in such sophisticated ways, they were the ones who could create the best tweets, the Instagram and Facebook posts, the slickest YouTube clips, the best memes that are out there. These were the the incredibly sophisticated speakers. But here's the thing, as impressive as all they were, none of them understood the saving power of the cross because God deliberately chose not to be known through human wisdom. And so we read in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21 and following, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You see, so the Jew of the day, crucifixion was a sign of God's curse. And that is true. It is a sign of God's curse. But therefore, the Jews rejected that. And they looked for signs. They looked for miracles. They looked for something that was far more impressive in the supernatural realm. Greek people of the day, they saw the cross as just weak and unimpressive, so they looked for wisdom. Wisdom. So they had the philosophers of the day, the wise of the day. I don't know whether you remember in Acts chapter 17 when Paul was debating people in Athens, there were the Epicurean philosophers and the Stoic philosophers. Those were the people who looked for impressiveness in, in their thinking, in their PhD equivalents, in their world views and how it was held together. And they just thought that Paul was just a babbler who just picked up bits and pieces of different philosophies in the end. They were far more impressed with wisdom and and how many letters people had after their name in terms of the equivalent of the ancient Greek world. But God chose to show them up through a crucified Messiah. And so he writes in verse 26... Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Not many of them had wise, powerful or privileged positions when they were saved. So why are they looking for those positions to be so impressed with? And he goes on in verse 27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things in the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the despised, sorry, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. So what you and I might write off as hopelessly weak, God chooses to shame the strong. What you and I think is lowly and despised, God chooses to bring to nothing. When I was a member of my former church in Wollongong before coming to Canberra, I was there for 25 years, Uh, there was a couple in their 60s who used to come and interrupt whatever conversation I had with someone else. (laughs) They were a bit awkward, socially awkward uh, kind of people who really were not impressive in the eyes of the world. They didn't have social cues for various reasons, unattractive to the world. But they turned up to church every Sunday, They sang their lungs out every Sunday. They spoke gospel truths to me and to those around about them. They were self-aware enough to recognise their own awkwardness and have now developed a ministry to share with other people who share their challenges in terms of personality. See, the cross isn't foolishness to them. Indeed, the cross is what they boast in because they know they can't boast in themselves. But isn't it interesting that my suspicion is that if you wanted to persuade one of your colleagues at work or a family member about Christianity, and if you were to invite them to this church, would you be tempted to introduce them to the, I don't know, cardiac surgeon in your congregation? I don't know if you have one, and I don't know if you are one, so I'm sorry if you are. I'm not you know, pointing a finger at you at all at this point in time. But, but wouldn't you, like me, be tempted to think, I'll introduce them to the most impressive person in this building, right? the cardiac surgeon, or the person who works in the Prime Minister's Department, or someone from DFAT because that's really impressive, isn't it? I mean, some of them, they can't even tell you what they do because they'll have to kill you if that's the case, right? And, and they are so impressive. And so if I'm going to persuade someone about Christianity, then I want to introduce them to the person who's the most impressive person in this building. Now don't get me wrong. Of course you can. <laughs> right. The question is, are you relying on impressiveness to see someone become a Christian? Or are you relying on God? You see, just as an aside, you know we often think about apologetics, which is a defence of Christianity and reasoning someone uh, in all sorts of ways through wonderful philosophy and my teaching in all sorts of academic ways, etc. And I've had a gutful at universities over these years I tell you. But that doesn't convert someone. The cross is the power to save people. The simple explanation of Jesus. His life. His death his resurrection, his ascension. That's what's going to see someone converted. Not my impressiveness. Not my apologetics. Now, I think there's a place for it, right? As someone once helpfully described, it's like a circle of truth is the gospel, and there are tangents that helpfully get you onto the gospel, but it's the gospel that's going to convert them, not the tangent. And sometimes when we get so caught up with the tangent, with all the arguments for, that we can actually get off the circle of the tangent as well, and our reliance is on our impressiveness rather than on the gospel itself. God deliberately chose not to be known through human wisdom. So there's no room for boasting. There's no room for pride. There's no matter how smart we are, how sporty we are, how slick or savvy we are, in the eyes of this world, there is no place for boasting. It is God who called us. It is God who chose us, verse 27. He did everything. He gave us all our abilities. They are gifts, aren't they? Now I know in this room, and that's just because it's Canberra, that you guys are incredibly impressive people. I have no doubt that you are highly educated and you're, uh, some of you are rubbing shoulders with the most influential people in this country for whatever reasons in the eyes of this world. But if we're ever tempted to feel proud of these abilities, can I say with utmost love, Don't give in to the temptation of feeling proud. God gave it to us. But do give in to the temptation to thank God for what He's enabled you to do. Because they're gifts, aren't they? They're gifts. They're not something inert in us that has been brought out that I've really created in myself. It's God. The wisdom of this world constantly tells us to boast in our abilities or the abilities of others rather than in God. and That's why we read in verse 30, as we conclude here, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Right? It's only because of Jesus that we can be declared right with him. It's only because of Jesus that we can be wholly set apart for him. It's only because of Jesus that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, being wise and influential or privileged is not the criterion by which we are saved. Praise God. No, the criterion by which we are saved is Jesus and God's incalculable love for us. For why did he love us? Simply because he did. There's nothing in us that is lovable, is there? It's because of who he is and what he has done, being wise and influential or privileged is something that God gives us. God's grace through the power of the cross can reach anyone, whether they are privileged or not. And so if you happen to be in influential circles, do rely on the cross of Christ to save the colleague that you're praying for, won't you? Do create opportunities Simply to speak plainly about Jesus. Have the courage there because that's where the power will be. And it may be that you're here this morning checking things out as well, and I just want to say as plain as day to you that Jesus is Lord because of his death and resurrection. And if you trust him and him alone to be saved, then you will be saved because of what he has done for you. And we'd love you to talk to someone about that. We ought to boast in the cross. So two illustrations to close. Firstly, a young African-American boy who used to operate lifts, I think, in the 1960s or thereabouts. He used to say... Uh, as he was operating the lift, as people come in and, you know, just press the buttons, basically, he would say to everybody coming into the lift, I can take you to any floor in this building, but only Jesus can take you to heaven. That's what he would say, right? And everybody would come in and he'd just keep on saying that, only Jesus can take you to heaven. And someone said, why do you say that all the time? And this young boy would say, because I am a nobody who can tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. God chose this pathetic, young, weak lift operator to boast in the Lord. If you have one of them in your buildings, you're more likely to see more conversions than someone else with all the PhDs in the world. The final boaster I want to highlight is Paul himself, the Apostle. And just by reading the first five verses of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, I guess this is how he boasts. He says, And so it was with me, brothers. But on God's power. Paul resolved to know nothing among things except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, clearly, Paul taught more than the cross, right? In 1 Corinthians itself, as you will know, he taught about divisions and quarrelling and sexual immorality and lawsuits and marriage and gender and um, the Lord's Supper and the resurrection, the gift. He taught about all sorts of things. So it's not that he always said Jesus, higher Christ and him crucified is the only five words he had in his sermons. But the point he was making is that the cross was the animating heart of everything he taught and everything that he did. And I want to suggest to you that as you look through all those other issues in 1 Corinthians, you will see that he ties it all back to the cross somehow. That's his point, right? And his ministry was like that. He didn't come with lofty words that made him look good. He didn't seek the finest sound beats, the stirring tweets, the amazing memes, the authentic YouTube clips to influence people. He didn't use TikTok moves, right? Although as an aside, I do know of someone who actually became a Christian through TikTok and is in a Bible study now. But that again shows the unimpressiveness of the world, isn't it? Because it's through the cross that this person was converted because someone actually used TikTok with proclaiming the gospel. And so as we seek to build each other up, dear brothers, as we seek to build God's kingdom, Well, it's not us that's doing the building, is what I want to say in the end. I hope that doesn't put a pinprick through the balloon of building through your whole theme for the year. Uh, I just want to say that it's Jesus who's the master builder, isn't it? It's his cross that's actually going to build the kingdom, not us. I'm all for push-ups, but push-ups aren't going to do it either, is it? But as you read the Bible together, as you do the push-up, now that's going to do something. (laughs) Paul constantly reasoned and explained and proved, but he did so by relying on the power of God. One man said, as long as people are impressed with you and your powerful personality and your impressive gifts then there is very little room for you to impress people with a crucified Saviour. So who are you going to impress people with? What are you going to impress people with? How are you going to build? Well, not through your strength and your impressiveness. It's by relying on the builder, relying on Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his return to his glory. As one songwriter put it, my worth, our worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame. But our worth is in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. Will you pray with me? We thank you, dear Father, for our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray, to so rely on him that when people look at us, they see him rather than our impressiveness. And we pray, dear Father, that in your mercy, that as we seek to build each other up in him, that we will do so by relying on him and boasting. Not in ourselves, but in the cross of Christ. And Father, we pray this for his glory.